the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your estate planning host with the most, Attorney Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my office here in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area, if you're familiar with that neighborhood. I'm on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale, uh, basically across the street from the Target and Home Depot shopping center there on Hillsdale, right before it turns into Camden Avenue and continues on into Campbell. So I thought I would take today's show and focus exclusively on a special type of planning that I do in my estate planning practice. It's planning, uh, full disclosure, it's planning I have done for my own children uh, who, while not yet of marriage age, at some point likely will end up of marriage age and may get married someday. I mean, that's always a possibility. Uh, Not guaranteed, but it's certainly something that is within the realm of possibility. So I thought I would talk today about a special type of planning that I do that I call the castle or castle trust planning. Now, traditional estate planning um, in the past has always focused on avoiding probate uh, when you die and conservatorship while you're alive by by putting legal documents in place that would have people in charge of handling things for you um, if you became incapacitated and that would also pass your property on without going through the probate process. And for some families, we also focused on minimizing or even completely eliminating the death tax, which is the federal estate tax. However, most trusts that I see that are brought in to me to review that people have had done in the past pay little or no attention to planning for the safe passage of assets or property on to the next generation. Uh, children, and maybe even grandchildren, subsequent generations of the heirs. Um, And because of that, uh, the assets are potentially subject to being lost for a number of different reasons. Now, there's a proverb I read somewhere uh, from Asia. and, uh, And I know that similar proverbs come from other parts of the world. And roughly it translates as this. From rice paddy 
two rice paddy in three generations. What this means is that often the first generation of a family, especially here in the Santa Clara in Santa Clara County, the Silicon Valley, where I practice law, uh, the first generation of family, uh, many times poorly educated but hardworking and driven by strong cultural values, often has built a family fortune to pass on to the next generation. Now, here in Santa Clara County, you can see this in the many family businesses and fortunes built by the first members of a family to move into the valley, often from other parts of the country or from other parts of the world. Successive waves of immigration from various parts of the world have ended up with uh, people arriving here. Uh, I have clients that tell me they arrived here literally with just a hundred dollars in the clothes on their back and they built a fortune here uh, through hard work and dedication and um, just really good old-fashioned hard work. There's a lot of orchards, farms, restaurants, department stores, wineries, convenience and grocery stores, many other businesses fit this pattern and there's also a lot of financial success you'll find in the tech industry. Now that's the first generation arriving here. Um, the second generation here in the Silicon Valley, um, maybe sometimes even born here in the United States, is often better educated. And the education was paid for from the family fortune built by the first generation. Now this second generation may still have many of the values of the first generation and may also have an interest in continuing a family business which could lead to building further wealth for the family. The third generation, however, is often still better educated than the second generation and has likely been raised entirely in the new culture here. This generation often has no interest in the family business, and that can lead to the family business and family wealth being lost due to a lack of interest. Even if the third generation is interested, there are several forces conspiring together to destroy the wealth of the family. So I want to share some stories with you about how families and their heirs can lose inheritances. And then I'll talk about how, with proper planning, a family can work together to guarantee as much as possible that family wealth will not be lost. So let me start out with Bill's story. Bill had been in financial difficulty his whole life. In fact, it's kind of ironic that his name, Bill, described what he had a lot of, which was bills. He had maxed out his credit cards, was late on his rent, already had several judgments against him for unpaid bills. His wages at work were being garnished by various creditors, and they were taking a good chunk of his income as a result. At 30 years of age, his future prospects for prosperity were pretty, pretty dim. Pretty bleak, as they say. But then... Bill's parents died. Now, Bill's parents had actually built wealth 
over the years, and they left Bill everything they owned, including their house. Unfortunately, they left the property outright to Bill. Because of that, Bill's creditors took all his cash, and soon, because Bill had never learned how to handle his finances, he lost his parents' house to foreclosure. Forty years of hard work and sacrifice by his parents was gone in less than two years, at the end of which Bill was still in debt and had nothing left from his parents. If only someone had been put in charge of Bill's inheritance to handle it for him. Well, we're coming up on the first break of the show today, and when we come back, I'm going to continue with more of these stories, and I'll continue with Ruth's story. So, um, when we come back after the break, I'll continue with Ruth's story. Um, actually, let me go ahead and get it started right now. When Ruth's parents died, they left her a nice inheritance. Unfortunately, four years later, Ruth was in a car accident that incapacitated her, leaving her in a wheelchair. Ruth now needed 24-hour care due to her injuries. Because Ruth had property, she had to use up all her property to pay for her care, including the inheritance from her parents. Not only was her property lost paying for her care, but the inheritance from her parents was lost as well. She's now trying to survive solely on government assistance. She hopes the government will be there for her, but she's uncertain of her future care. Stay tuned after this first break for more stories here on Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Well, I hope you found the show interesting so far. Uh, I think you'll find that uh, there's a lot of situations that arise, and I'm going to share some more with you in this second segment of the show today. Let's talk about Marissa's story. Marissa had been happily married to Jim for 10 years and had two wonderful children. Two years ago, Marissa's mother Jane died, leaving her home and investments totaling over $1 million. Marissa sold everything and converted it into cash. When the check arrived from her mother's lawyer for her inheritance, not exactly sure why her mother's lawyer uh, was sending the check, but uh, basically when she got the check from selling everything, she put it into the joint account she held with her husband. Five years later, Marissa died, and everything they owned together, including Marissa's inheritance, went to her husband, Jim. Jim then remarried, started a new family, and left everything to his new wife 
and their new child with nothing going to the children that he had with Marissa. I'm not sure that Grandma Jane would have been thrilled with that if she'd still been around to find out what happened. Could Marissa's mother Jane have made sure that Marissa's inheritance from her would pass to her grandchildren, Marissa's children? That's the question. Now let's talk about John's story. John had started his furniture store with high hopes. He had sunk everything he owned into the fixtures, inventory, the lease, all the expenses. Uh, when he ran out of money and his business failed, all of his vendors and other creditors came after him for payment. The bank came after him. Uh, the, the people, his suppliers came after him. The landlord came after him for the rest of the lease. He had to file for personal bankruptcy, facing the loss of almost everything he owned. Unfortunately, his troubles were just beginning. To add insult to injury, one month after he filed for bankruptcy, his father died, leaving him an inheritance of $500,000. Because he was in bankruptcy, the court-appointed bankruptcy trustee seized the $500,000 and used it to pay John's creditors. And the bankruptcy trustee was John. John was no longer bankrupt because his creditors had been paid, but $450,000 of his inheritance had gone to his creditors, leaving him with only the $50 left from the half a million dollars that his father had left to him um, from his estate. Could John's father have done something to protect John's inheritance when John's father died? Now let's talk about Janet's story. Janet's parents died. Are you seeing, seeing a trend here? Parents die. But Jaren's, Janet's parents died, leaving her about half a million dollars, which she promptly invested in a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. A few years later, Janet was out driving near the farmer's market at her local mall when she lost control of her car and drove right through a crowd of people waiting in line for kettle corn. Although nobody was killed and it was ruled an accident uh, because her brakes failed, she ended up seriously injuring 10 people. The resulting lawsuits against her ended up in judgments that were more than her automobile, homeowner's insurance, and every insurance she had. The resulting collection efforts by the judgment creditors took nearly everything that Janet owned, including the half a million dollars that she had invested that had been inherited from her parents. Could the accidental loss of Janet's inheritance have been avoided? And finally, we have Mike's story. Mike lost his parents when he was 16 years old 
uh, in a car accident. He went to live with his aunt and uncle, who were also given control of the property left for Mike by his parents, which was over $300,000. That was put into a guardianship with them as his guardians uh, to raise and care for him and to hold on to his inheritance. But when Mike turned 18 years of age, becoming a legal adult here in California, he demanded that the inheritance be turned over to him from his aunt and uncle. And they were obligated by law to give it to him because he was now an adult. Mike had no experience handling money. Because of that, he thought he was rich. He thought he didn't have to do anything. He thought he was good for the rest of his life, and he spent his inheritance like there was no tomorrow. For him, it was found money, like he had found a $5 bill on a crosswalk and immediately looked for the nearest Starbucks so he could buy himself a latte. That's what he did. He dropped out of high school. Uh, he didn't graduate. He bought a sports car, partied with his friends, ran through his entire inheritance within two years. Instead of finishing high school and using the money to go to college or to start a business or just to invest while he, while he got a job, and start building for his future retirement. Mike had no money left, and he was reduced to working at a minimum wage job just to feed himself. If only someone else could have handled his inheritance for him until he was educated and knew more about money. Now, all of the children in the stories I've related in our show today shared the following in common. They all lost their inheritances, sometimes intentionally, sometimes by accident, sometimes through misfortune, because they received their inheritances outright from their parent or parents. So the question is, is there an alternative that can protect a child's inheritance from being lost in one of these ways? Yes, there is. I call it the castle trust planning option. Now, as you're sitting there, I want you to close your eyes. Don't do it if you're driving on the road right now. That is not recommended. But mentally visualize a castle. Okay, think of a castle. Okay. You can raise your hand if you thought of Sleeping Beauty's castle at Disneyland or Cinderella's castle at, at Walt Disney World. Um, but still, think of a castle and think of the features of a castle. They typically have high walls, thick walls, maybe a moat surrounding them, maybe a drawbridge that could be drawn up to protect from people getting in the castle, and there's often heavily armed defenders for a castle. I want you to keep that image in mind when we come back after the mid-show break, and I will describe just what the castle trust 
planning option is. Talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman, your host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. At the end of the last segment, I introduced the Castle Trust planning option. And now let's talk about what that is. A lot of people will leave the inheritance that they're going to leave to their children directly to them. And uh, that's been probably the most common way that people did it. And the problem is once you leave an inheritance directly to somebody, they now own it. And as you, uh, if you think back on the stories I related in the first half of the show today, you'll see that ownership of an inheritance can lead ultimately to the loss of the inheritance. The loss being triggered by having something happen in the person's life that leads to uh, leads to the loss. So I bring this up because uh, I've done castle trust planning for my own children. Um, in, in the case of uh, my children, I've done it because, uh, quite frankly, I don't trust anyone who wants to marry one of my daughters someday. Uh, my daughters are 13, so I'm not really concerned about uh, either one of them getting married any time soon, but I also don't trust anyone that wants to marry one of my daughters. So I want to make sure that any inheritance they receive is going to be separate from their personal relationships, separate from their personal lives, separate from their investments, separate from their business lives, all those things. So what the Castle Trust Planning Option does is leaves the inheritance in trust for your heir instead of outright. This is appropriate whether you're married or unmarried, and it could be appropriate for uh, for people other than your children. It could be grandchildren, nieces, nephews, uh, even um, uh, an aged parent. If you wanted to have your property take care of a parent for their lifetime and then be passed on uh, maybe to your children or maybe to other relatives or maybe to charity for that matter. And uh, when it's done this way, your children or your other heirs will have the use and benefit of the property that's held in trust. And the trustee of the trust can use as much of the income generated by the trust and other property in the trust that's necessary for the needs of the beneficiary in four areas. The four areas being their health, their education, and then maintenance and support. And maintenance and support, sometimes maintenance or support, that's things like food, clothing, shelter, recreation, and vacation. And you might say recreation and vacation? Well, does somebody need those? Well, let me ask you. 
Uh, how many of you out there need to take time off to recreate yourself, which is what recreation's all about, uh, to go and play a game of tennis or go hiking a trail or go skiing or scuba diving or or uh, spend a day at uh, Great America or something like that. I mean, my family, we're going to be going to Great America uh, tomorrow evening, we're, That's and that's part of recreation. And how about vacation? Well, here in the United States, people take vacations. That's considered a normal part of life. Even families that don't have a lot in the way of resources can still take vacations. There are vacation spots you can go to that do not cost an arm and a leg. Um, I point out that someone can go and stay in a motel in Las Vegas, uh, but then could walk into the Bellagio and play the slot machines there. No one's going to think twice about someone walking in to play the slot machines at the Bellagio, no matter what you look like. Um, and that's because they know there in Las Vegas that how somebody looks is not necessarily any kind of indicator of how much money they have. Uh, some of the wealthiest people you'll ever see in your life don't dress that way, don't look that way. They're not flashy in any way, shape, or form. They're just very wealthy. So, when you talk about somebody's needs being provided for, that's what this type of trust is designed for. It's not really designed, as a general rule, to have money just to be spending on anything the beneficiary wants, although there's a mechanism you can put in place in the trust to have an independent trustee make decisions where a beneficiary could actually pay for something they don't really need. The example I, I usually use is a software engineer um, here in Santa Clara County probably doesn't really need a Ford F-250 pickup truck fully loaded um, because pickup trucks are generally needed by people who are in trades, uh, people who are electricians or carpenters or plumbers or their contractors and they need to haul supplies or things like that. Software engineers probably don't need a pickup truck other than because they look great and maybe they like to go off-roading now and then. So that is uh, the principal purpose of something like this. But here's the key. When you put property into a trust like this, that child or other beneficiary does not actually own the property. It's owned by the trust, and the trust is an irrevocable or unchangeable trust. This lack of ownership provides a high level of asset protection for the inheritance. Because the inheritance is not owned, it is extremely difficult for a beneficiary to lose it in a divorce, lose it to a lawsuit, lose it in a personal bankruptcy, or through mismanagement. And mismanagement, especially if somebody else is handling the trust for the beneficiary, like a beneficiary that's under age or a beneficiary that you know ahead of time should never be given control over their inheritance because you know they don't know what they're doing and they just blow it anyway. 
or the beneficiary has some kind of issue, such as the beneficiary is a special needs person or is financially incompetent, and you know that ahead of time. So in a case like that, you'd put somebody else in charge, whether it's a, another family member, whether it's a professional trustee of some kind, or a bank, or a trust company to actually manage the assets in the trust and use them for the needs of the beneficiary. When it's properly structured, this planning option of the castle trust planning can also pass on that property to the beneficiary's own children or other heirs uh, and often with the same level of asset protection as before um, and, and, and if you pass on property this way using your own federal estate tax exclusion amount you can pass that property on to your children's or other heirs' descendants for possibly a couple of generations free from the federal estate tax, what we call the death tax. Uh, imagine passing on several hundred thousand dollars or even millions of dollars that can grow for several years without being touched by the estate tax with a death tax system. This is one of the major benefits of using the castle trust planning option when leaving an inheritance to children or other heirs. I do this kind of planning regularly for my clients. And if this is something that's of interest to you, if you've already done an estate plan, it may be time to have it reviewed to see if it should be upgraded to having castle trust planning for your heirs. If you haven't done an estate plan yet, now's the time to contact my office. Go to my website at lawbob.com, click on the book a call button, and you'll be taken into my calendar online where you can pick a date and time to have a 15-minute consultation with me You'll be asked to complete a planning priorities quiz, uh, which there will be a link in there that you can go to. Otherwise, I will email you with a request that you complete that. And that will give me enough information before meeting with you so we can have an intelligent conversation about planning for you, what planning might be appropriate, and whether or not I'm the right person to assist you with your planning. So we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When I come back, I'm going to share a situation that was shared with a colleague of mine that demonstrates why planning needs to be done properly. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Uh, welcome back for the final segment of our show today. Earlier today, actually, literally within about a half an hour of, of the show today, I was talking with a colleague of mine uh, responding to a situation that she had come across in her practice, and I thought um, I would share with you the situation she's facing to hopefully encourage some of you out there 
to not let this happen to your family. She was consulted by someone, let's call him John. And John's father, uh, James, had, uh, had died. And uh, my colleague is handling the probate for James' probate estate. Well, apparently, uh, several years ago, James bought a property, uh, actually uh, bought a property uh, here in California with his mother, Mary, and, uh, and they bought the property together. They got the loan together. They were on the title together as tenants in common, meaning that they each owned half the property. And then some time went by, and then James and Mary decided that James would own the whole property. So James bought his mother out, wrote him a check for half of of the amount of the loan. I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean, but um, wrote a check and uh, and and then um, the idea was was that uh, now he would own the whole property and his his mother would no longer own any interest in the property. But they never took any steps at all to transfer the title uh, for Mary to transfer her 50% to, to her son, James. And uh, subsequently, Mary died. And then later, James died. And now the family's trying to figure out how do we get Mary's half of the property into James' probate estate so it could go to his children? Um, grandma, Mary, who, who's, the, who's uh, John's grandmother, who owns half the property, people think she might have had a trust, but no one really knows. They're trying to look and see if she had a trust. Um, she also had a total of eight children, with, with James being just one of eight children. So now the family has uh, indicated, yes, they believe that the property should go to James' four children. Uh, everybody in the family agrees that that's what should happen, but there is literally no easy way to get Mary's half of the property into the estate for uh, for James, so that uh, that John, uh, who's one of James' children, acting as the administrator of the estate, can actually sell the property because everybody wants to sell the property. And so, what this family is likely going to have to do is they're likely going to have to actually have another probate open for Mary's half of the property. They're going to be in different counties. One is going to be in a county up, up in the, the hills. Another one's going to be in the Bay Area. And as a result of that, um, there's going to be two probates in order to have two people named, two sets of probate fees, filing fees and costs, 
probably two different attorneys involved, two different sets of fees there, two different appraisal fees by a court-appointed appraiser. That's appraising for the 50% interest in the property owned by each estate. And then ultimately, um, if you have uh, two people named as administrators, then to sell the property, you have to coordinate between two probate uh, two probates to sell the property. And then ultimately to get the proceeds of the sale of Mary's property over to her grandchildren, which is what everybody agrees was intended, there's no way to just assign those from Mary's probate to go to those grandchildren. Instead, the money's going to probably have to be distributed out to her seven children, and then maybe one-eighth of it distributed to the grandchildren because they would likely, they would inherit actually because their father, James, was already deceased. But then it's going to rely on the aunts and uncles, the other seven aunts and uncles, to just make a gift of of the uh, the proceeds from the sale to the um, four children who are James' four children. In other words, an absolute mess. James should have had a trust. He should have owned the trust so there's no probate. The property should have been owned of the trust so there's no probate. And they should have not tried to do this purchase on their own. Um, they didn't do anything right. And now the family is actually facing two probates. So that's the end of our show today. It's attorney Bob Bergman. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll be back next week with more Plan Your Estate Radio. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.